Welcome back to the Cycling Tips podcast, everybody. I'm Dane Cash, hosting today as Kaylee Fretz is in transit, but he is here with us. Kaylee, where are you right now? Transit is is an exaggeration. Transit is really an exaggeration. I'm in traffic is what I'm actually in. I'm going precisely nowhere. You're not in traffic, Kaylee. You are, you are traffic. On your way from Nîmes to... Uh, it's not what I need to hear right now, Ronan. It's not what I need to hear. <laughs> We just spent 45 minutes and went around in a circle in Nîmes. Um, so that was great. We really enjoyed that. We're, we're, we're trying to get to our hotel and now we're finally moving. So yeah, you just hear the, the hum of the European turbo diesel in the background. That's because I am en route at the moment. Well, that sounds fun, I guess. Uh, glad you're joining us despite being in traffic. So that's Kaylee and you already heard from him, but uh, let's introduce him formally. Ronan McLaughlin, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Not in traffic. <laughs> it's better to be not in traffic, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Tour de France Stage 12 today. But first, as always, yesterday we were reminded about Continental's Gator Hardshell tires. Continuing on the theme of tires for going long and thinking about some of the atrocious weather we've seen this tour, there's the Continental Grand Prix Four Season. The four season are Continental's all year round tire. And like the Gator Hardshells, they're a reliable companion for high mileage road cyclists. Utilizing Conti's Vectran and Duraskin technologies, the Grand Prix four season offer superior durability, ready for any season. Vectran is a synthetically manufactured high tech fiber similar to spider's silk. It has an enormous tear resistance at a very low weight. Exactly the right properties for puncture resistance. You can spot Duraskin by the tire's brown sidewalls. Tires with Duraskin sidewall protection are able to roll with the punches of the harshest conditions. So if you're putting in lots of miles across variable weather conditions, Conti's Grand Prix Four Season should be your tires of choice. Thanks to Continental for sponsoring the podcast. Right, Tour de France Stage 12. After the double ascent of Mont Ventoux, we went back to flatter roads today and if you looked at the profile you might think this was going to be a day for the sprinters but you would have been wrong because I kind of quick step kind of decided not to do that and there we talked about this on a recent show there there aren't a whole lot of other teams here that are going to put in the work to bring things together for a sprint and so instead it was a day for the breakaway uh the whole day started off with Peter Sagan leaving the race and yet Bora Hansgrohe took the win anyway Niels Pollitt got the win in impressive fashion. His first World Tour win. I'd say that's a pretty stylish way to take your first World Tour victory. I don't know about you guys. Super stylish. Like, incredibly stylish victory, I think. And a pretty big cheer at the finish line for him. I think people were, were, were pretty happy for him. Uh, I mean, what a way to do it, right? Like, solo... He was he really just pulled out time all the way to the finish line. Uh, I think it was I, I checked the the television about five k to go. He had like nineteen seconds, and by the finish, he had something like twenty six or twenty seven. And you know, he's one of those riders who, when he does get a bit of a gap, he's just he's just a monster, right? Like you're not you're never going to pull him back. This is a guy who you know has contested at Paris Roubaix year after year. He's he's just a very very strong rider solo. That's what we saw. It was great. Uh, of course, as you as you mentioned, teammate Peter Sagan left that morning, and to be able to sort of turn around that quickly and just adjust that quickly is always good to see. And and 
it seems to happen quite often. Have you guys noticed this? That like, you know, plan A goes awry and you've got plan B or C or D or whatever. And it, it almost, it feels freeing for a lot of those riders, doesn't it? Where, uh, you know, we see Caleb Ewan drop out and he's just, you know, teammates just immediately jump into the breakaway the next day. And with, with some success, uh, today is a perfect example. You lose Peter Sagan, who they've been sort of riding for, for, for much of the tour. And all of a sudden, a rider like Niels Pollitt, who is maybe in charge of kind of either helping Peter out or keeping things together or whatever else is sort of determined by the tactics of the day, suddenly has the freedom to just go do his thing. And he's a super strong rider and they end up with better results than they were getting with Peter in the race. I always like seeing riders like Pollitt uh, taking wins because he's got a huge engine. And I feel like there's a lot of riders who have these really big engines, but if you're not great at time trials he's okay at time trials but if you're not great at time trials and you don't have a decent sprint having a really big engine doesn't often actually translate to wins without those kind of two supplemental abilities and so polet has been kind of knocking on the door of a big classics win you mentioned the roubaix uh, results he's he's been uh, fifth at flanders but he's just never really you know he's, he's been close but if you don't have that kick and, and again if you're not great against the clock there's only so many opportunities to do it and so today he just kind of took matters into his own hands, and, you know, he had some big engines in that group. That that breakaway had a lot of firepower. I mean, Julian Alaphilippe was there, and uh, Stefan Kung has a huge engine, uh, but Pollitt used both the engine and also, I think, a really well-timed move. Uh, he allowed some of the other riders in that four-man kind of break from the break uh, to wear each other out, and then with 12K to go, when he went on the, went on the attack, there was just no stopping him. There was a little bit of hesitation from... Imanol Viti and uh, Harry Sweeney, who, by the way, uh, heck of a debut Tour de France. This, uh, you know, this is his first ever Grand Tour period. He's only 22 years old, and now he's got a, a third place finish. But yeah, Niels Paulet, uh, just there was no catching him when he went on the move, and I like to see that because not somebody I think that's got that many opportunities outside of basically Roubaix, where that big engine is is kind of everything. Yeah, and he's well, he's just a really big guy too. And I remember talking w- with uh, with Taylor Finney about this where you know Taylor's obviously a, a very large human being and he was saying that you know he was carrying just because he's a bigger person he was carrying something like the equivalent of 19 water bottles over Greg Van Avermaet and when you could sort of consider that uh in a either any sort of lumpy stage hilly stage anything like that ri- there's riders like that that are particularly good at a race exactly like Roubaix. That's what Taylor was basically saying. It's like, the reason why Roubaix is my thing is because I'm just too big to really find success anywhere else. And I think that Pollitt's kind of like that a little bit. Uh, you know, he's, he's, like you said, he's found success at a thing like Flanders, but really Flanders is, um, it's not a mountain stage at the Tour de France. We'll put it that way. Today, he was able to use basically that exact same skill set, which is just massive watts not watts per kilo, but just massive watts to get himself a bit of a gap and and push off the front. I was also super impressed with Harry Sweeney. You mentioned Harry. Um, I tried to catch up with him after the stage, failed to do so. The the sort of the logistics of post race uh, audio grabs are, are a little bit tricky at this Tour de France. And I was standing there with Lionel Bernie from the Cycling Podcast, and both of us got. Uh, we got nothing <laughs> from 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 Harry today, unfortunately. But I am going to try to find him tomorrow morning because he's just a rider. He's a neo pro. A ride like that, I think it's somebody. He's somebody we should catch up with and figure out how he's doing. 
you did talk to a compatriot, training buddy, uh, former teammate, I think as well, of Niels Pollitt at the finish. Did you not? I did. Uh, I spoke with Andre Greipel, and I kind of came in halfway through some other reporters asking questions and lobbed a couple in of my own. And, well, basically, he has it's quite a, an old relationship with Niels Pollitt. And uh, we forget sometimes that, you know, these riders are they're in the same peloton, but they're actually of different generations. And uh, Andre Greipel used to give like kit and stuff and training advice to Niels when he was a junior. Uh, and so we talked a little bit about sort of what it meant for him to watch, you know, a younger German make good and get a tour stage win. Kind of shift to talk about the people that didn't go off the front today, which is to say the Peloton itself, which I was kind of hoping for a little bit more. I'm not going to lie. First of all, I thought that the kind of quick step missed an opportunity today. Uh, they, they clearly just didn't, it wasn't in the plan for them. Um, I think for, for whatever reason, they decided not to go for today to let the break take today. Maybe they're saving all of their bullets, except for Julian Alaphilippe, uh, for tomorrow's stage. We'll get to that later, obviously. But I was kind of thinking that they would try to chase things down. They let it go. And the rest of the peloton did not seem either interested or able, I guess, to take advantage of the few moments of crosswinds that we did get in the stage. It's funny, I also talked to uh, Tom Scoinch this morning. Oh, everybody knows Tom's friend of the podcast, uh, partner to a podcaster, and just wanted to catch up with him because I had seen him in actually uh, about two years because of the pandemic, wanted to say hi, and then asked him about the crosswinds, and he mentioned that basically the what they had heard from the directors that morning was that it was really just going to be the beginning of the race that was the concern and that turned out to be 100% correct, right? He said it's probably going to come back together. It'll split up, but it'll be too far from the finish. It'll probably come back together. That, in general, ended up being the case uh, from, like, a GC perspective, I mean. Like, there was no splits that put Tade Pogacar three minutes off the back uh, and, and you know, altered the GC picture. Uh, the, the sort of promised echelons throughout the day were not really a factor in, in today's racing. There was a moment where Ineos kind of went to the front, seemed like they might be interested in doing something, but then it didn't really materialize, and maybe it just wasn't where well, the opportunity wasn't there. I think it was one of those scenarios where on the ground there probably was a bit of wind that you can feel, and, and that sort of serves to create this sort of nervousness in the in the bunch, um, but really it probably wasn't enough to ever split it, and then combine that with the fact that a lot of the roads in that final 40 kilometers seemed you know, quite sheltered until we got to that final climb that Pollitt eventually launched his attack on. So it was probably a case of they could feel a bit of wind for a second and everybody's sort of looking in case something happens, but something unfortunately didn't happen in the end and we didn't get to see some echelon racing. Well, let's just keep in mind too that they just went up on two yesterday. <laughs> There's probably some level of just just fatigue i mean we're getting we're getting into that part of the race where there's just a lot of fatigue in the legs it doesn't matter that there was a rest day uh you know riders are just tired and at some point i think a day like today they end up kind of just giving themselves a, a bit of a rest day right uh it's just not it's funny Riders have been saying over and over again that every single day of this tour has been raced like a like a one day, like a classic or something like that. I think that kind of ended uh, now because just the fatigue is built up to the point where they just cannot do that anymore. 
And that's what we saw. We saw a Peloton that just really didn't, just didn't really want to today. After today, I mean, the opportunities for Ineos and, and like Yumbo now that uh, Jonas Vingegaard is in the game, and I, and I, I guess EF, uh, to, to really kind of take the race to Pogacar outside of the mountains, they're, they're really running out of opportunities. I mean, we've got stage 13, there's a chance of that as well. Uh, but kind of after that, I'm, I'm thinking that the crosswinds opportunities are going to die down and it's going to head back into the mountains. And I'm just thinking that they, I don't know what they have to lose really by trying. So hopefully they will <laughs> try something tomorrow because it does feel like Dave, Dave Brailsford's kind of earlier this year talking about changing up the way this team races and, and, and taking it to the other teams and, and uh, just, yeah, being more aggressive and all that stuff. I know that this team has suffered a lot of injuries in this tour, that, and obviously things that kind of really derailed their plans going in. But it, it does feel like they just have not been as aggressive as they'd promised, and they, they really have maybe missed some opportunities, I think. And, and yesterday on Vontu, I felt the same way when they were riding tempo up as if it were 2013 and as if they had Chris Froome in the, in the yellow jersey group when they obviously didn't. And, yeah, I just feel like they, they're going to need to try something. And even if the opportunity is only half there, I don't see what you have to lose other than, you know, third. Maybe you finish fourth or fifth instead of third, I guess, because you expended energy. It just seems like they, they should try something. And, and uh, hopefully they'll have more chances here as we kind of continue to head through the south of France on the way to the Pyrenees. But the opportunities are, yeah, they're running out. I know I sort of was giving them the benefit of the doubt just they hoping that any of us are setting up something for later in the race. But... I think where yesterday and sort of going back to Katie's point about we did do Von Two twice yesterday or they did do Von Two twice yesterday. Uh for writers like Van Barda and, and Kwiatkowski, who, you know, theoretically could have been contenders for today's stage, undoubtedly they were, you know, majorly fatigued today after that writing that they did yesterday and we didn't see them then feature today. And if we think back to last year's Giro when we first heard about this new team Enios. Uh, that wasn't the way they were racing. They were ra- they were in the breaks every day, taking I think they won too many stages in that Giro. I can't even remember how many they won, but you know they were in the kind of move that we've seen today. And certainly, given that it started off with a lot of uh, splits and in, in the wind early on the stage today, certainly someone like Van Barda surely could have been a, a favourite for today's stage had he had not had had he not had yesterday's Vontu in, in his legs, I guess. And all the work they did yesterday, I mean, I. In the end, it, it did maybe help tire Tade Pogacar, but it also helped tire Richard Carapaz. I mean, he he and Rigoberto Aran were the ones who got dropped first when Vingegaard and and, uh, and Pogacar went up the road. So, what's it for? What to, to what end are they are they wasting their chances to win stages with Kukovsky? You're right; he absolutely could have been a rider who would have had a chance today. I, I don't know, but I do know that you also said you talked to Tom's Kelly, so maybe we can uh, hear from Tom's next. Yeah. Yes, yes, we can hear from Tom's, and well, like I said, I was just kind of catching up with him. Uh, but then I asked him. Turns out he had a, a pretty rough day on stage nine, and I was just sort of curious, kind of what that felt like. Like, what what, what is it? What does it feel like to basically almost get time cut from the Tour de France? Yeah. All right. Tell me about stage nine. That was the day I thought I was going to go home. Uh, really. Felt okay in the beginning, but during the stage, just uh, ran super low on energy. I don't know what it was exactly. Seemed like whatever I was eating was not being absorbed at all. Uh, so the last climb, all I could do was uh, make time cut. What do you sort of think about 
throughout the day there? I mean, are you just trying to get more calories in? Is that basically, basically the, the, the focus? Or are you sitting there like, fuck, I might have to stop this thing? Uh, well, at that point, I was thinking just stay with the group as long as possible. Uh, and then the last 10K, I was just doing math all the time in my head uh, and asking the director to tell me if the climb is getting any easier at any point, what's the time cut, all this, just pretty much as going for, uh, as much information needed as going for the win. Is it is it like fear? Is, is it right in the back there? Uh, more like uh, not really fear because, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, it's not the end of the world. But uh, I don't know, more like disappointment or like feeling a failure. Because I mean, I would should never be in that situation where I'm fighting for time cut. Uh, yeah, doubt um, whether or not you'll be even okay after that. Um, yeah, that's kind of what it uh, feels like. Is it? I mean, do you kind of just go up and down throughout the tour generally? Like, do you usually get like a day like that? Or is that something that's kind of new for you? I think this was the closest I've ever been uh, to a time cut and feeling wise also. I don't think I've ever been that uh, down. Uh, but for sure, yeah, during the tour, you have your ups and downs and you always have days where you're like, oh, fuck, I can't believe we're still riding so hard. Uh, I don't think I don't think I can do this for much longer. But then another day you're like, all right, this is doable. The I've, I've heard a couple different times that this it's being raced every day like a like a one day race, like a like a classic or something like that. Do, do you agree, first of all? And, and does that make it harder? Uh, well, day 10 was definitely the one that was the easiest, which helped me for sure. Uh, that was the day I could not believe how uh, easy the break went and how it actually was controlled and all this. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, a lot of times it is full on from the get go and you don't really think about the next day, uh, until, uh, you're done. Thanks, man. No worries. That was Tom Squinch. Uh, I think maybe we can close the book on stage 12 of the Tour de France and, uh, shift gears a little bit to talk about today's Girodone stage, but first... Cycling Tips is teaming up with the Cyclist Alliance, which is working hard to support female cyclists both during and after their careers. And through that partnership, you can get your hands on some very cool kit from Black Sheep. Pre-order starts on July 9th, so head over to cyclingtips.com TCA to check that out. The Giro Done stage today, won by a rider who has won a few Giro Done stages in her career, whether it was called the Girodone or the Giro Rosa, probably back when it was called the Girodone like first, before they changed to be the Giro Rosa and then changed back to the Girodone, because she's been around for a little while. Mariana Voss won her 30th career stage at the race today. That's her second stage win so far this race. She's been in the top five four times so far in this race. Uh, pretty good rider, Mariana Voss. And today won a sprint out of a smaller group uh, after some lumpy roads beat uh, Elisa Longo-Borghini and Anna van der Breggen, race leader right now. Uh, I don't know what else you can say about Mariana Voss. Uh, Abby put it really well recently on this show a few days ago that she celebrates every win like it's like it's her first, and it, they all mean something to her, and it's really cool to see that even at this point in her career, long after being known as the greatest ever, 
uh, she's still doing that. And uh, today was another good example of that. And another just impressive win. I mean, it's a tough stage, and, and there were some big names in that kind of lead selection there towards the end, and Voss able to beat all of them. Uh, I think Yumbo Visma probably has to be pretty happy with the way things have gone uh, and, and the way that, that she's been able to keep kind of getting those results. Uh, the GC picture remains unchanged, except for the fact that uh, Neve Fisher-Black dropped from 9th to 10th, and Tatiana Guderzo jumped up from 10th to 9th, but the top end of that GC picture, Anna van der Breggen still has a pretty commanding lead in the race with three stages to go at the Girodone. Uh, we have an audio diary for you today with Ruth Winter, so let's hear from Ruth. Hello, everybody. Uh, just finished day seven, and it was pretty fun. We did this, like, 16K circuit uh, pretty up and down the whole time. It was really fun. Um, we had loosened up the road alone, and unfortunately, nobody would go across. There was a break, maybe a four going, that was we really tried to kind of like block the road and let those four go across, but there just seemed to be some people that just didn't want to let it go, which is super frustrating because they're chasing. You're like, why are you chasing? For what point? Um, and then, yeah. Anyway, so then we went for the sprint, and I think Elisa got second. This sounds terrible, but I've not seen her yet, and I am not actually sure how we finished. So we tried to do a good lead out. The finish was kind of up this climb, and um, yeah, super fast, but not really a sprint sprint. Um, and I know Voss won, so congratulations to them. Uh, but yeah, overall, I felt pretty good today. Had fun just trying to go with attacks and stuff and, and help uh, Lizzie and Eliza out there for the finish. Um, so definitely felt better than I thought I would, given that it's been a week now of racing. But that's okay. And uh, yeah, feeling feeling excited for the next couple days. I think tomorrow is a bit flatter again. Um, Oh, and uh, Lucinda got the green jersey today. So that's exciting as well. Green jersey for Lucinda. All right, that's all I got. That was Ruth Winder. Uh, Giordone continues tomorrow with a flat stage, possibly another opportunity for Mariana Voss. And then the last uh, very hard stage on stage nine could be another day for the GC, except for the fact that SD Works kind of has that on lockdown. Uh, I don't know, hopefully there'll be some action. We'll see. So that's the Giordone stage seven today. What about the Tour de France tomorrow's stage? Before we do any of the details or make any predictions, let's hear from Jose on the historical context for stage 13 of the Tour de France. Stage 13 runs from two historical cities, albeit from two completely different eras. Nîmes is famous for its Roman monuments, while Carcassonne is a truly medieval town. Both have amazing monuments to visit, like in Nîmes de Maison Carré, which is home of the Museum of Antiquities now. Maison Carré is French for square house. It's a simple terminology for a magnificent piece of Roman architecture that took 13 years to build. It's one of the best preserved temples from the Roman Empire. More Roman buildings in Nîmes are the Arena, a Roman amphitheatre and that was built in 70 BC, shortly after the Colosseum in Rome. It is still used for a wide variety of events, including live concerts. The Dire Straits, Rammstein, Depeche Mode and Metallica recorded live albums in Nîmes, but it was also the site of the opening team time trial in the 2017 Vuelta, won by BMC. 
And they even host WWE wrestling shows in the old amphitheatre. Right after leaving Nîmes, we enter the old region of Occitanie, which you may know from the stage race Route d'Occitanie. You will spot the red flags with the Occitan cross immediately on the side of the road. This region is more of a cultural and language entity than a political one. Although the newly created administrative region now bears this name, in history there was never an Occitanie. Like in Britannia where they speak Breton, the Occitan language is not recognised by the French government but is widely spoken in the region. Many place signs are in two languages for example. It's not an official language in France but it is in Catalonia. Today's finish is in the wonderful city of Carcassonne, although we finished just outside the medieval citadel. In 2018, Magnus Kort won the 15th stage by beating Jon Izagiri. The walls of the medieval city are 3 kilometers long and count no less than 52 massive towers. In the 19th century, Carcassonne was struck off the roster of official fortifications under Napoleon and his restoration government and the town fell into such disrepair that the French government decided that it should be demolished. But that caused an uproar amongst local citizens. A successful campaign was launched to renovate the entire city. But however, it is a 19th century interpretation of the Middle Ages and therefore a slightly romanticized version of the original village. Plague-ridden and infested with rats and disease, the average medieval city was not a fun place to live. But who cares? The current Carcassonne is a fantastic sight to see. So, stage 13 of the Tour de France, Nîmes to Carcassonne, 220k, it's not a short stage. The profile is relatively flat. I think it looks like a good day for the sprinters, but as we saw today, that's never a given. I do think the Kuna Quickstep is going to be a little bit more interested in this race and in keeping things together. Uh, as my colleague, Matt Deneef, points out in his excellent stage-by-stage -stage breakdown, uh, Christian Prudhomme pointed out in the roadbook that never has a finish by the Carcassonne Towers, finished with a bunch sprint, according to Prudhomme. So I guess maybe there's a chance for some action here. The, the big, the big uh, deciding factor, I think, is going to be the weather. And Ronan, it looks like there's some chance of wind. It is forecast for a sort of a, a cross tailwind. Uh, so it certainly has a bit of action. And I think when we look at the stage, I, th I think that is certainly what you know the, the, the Tour de France route designers were hoping for when, when they laid out the stage from, from Nîmes to Carcassonne. It sort of follows the coast the whole way and I'm sure they were thinking this could just be a, a final little bit of a or a, you know this this could be just a, a bit of spice before we hit the Pyrenees liven things up a little bit perhaps um, cause a few uh, splits in the bunch and cost some riders some time whether or not that happens I guess remains to be seen the, the forecast certainly looking like it, it could but uh, in terms of you know whether it actually will be a bunch sprint tomorrow or not I'm I'm not entirely convinced again. I think, uh, you know, the kind of quick step, if you were to pick one stage to control, today's stage was 60 kilometers shorter than tomorrow's forecast, or tomorrow's is due to be. Um, so, you know, it's it's still, it's a long stage, quite hot conditions. 
Uh, again, the fatigue has has built up there. We do only have one fourth category climb across the whole route. It is much flatter than today's stage, but you know it remains to be seen whether whether Quickstep will have the power themselves to 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 bring this back for a bunch sprint and. Uh, that that may very much depend on whether they get some assistance or not, and we've seen already in this tour that other teams are not uh, keen on on lending them a hand. So, yeah, uh, any anyone's guess at the moment, uh, I suppose, but um, but it's cer- certainly hope for some exciting racing tomorrow. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit with uh, so many of the marquee sprinters leaving the race, and and another one. Another potential sprinter. I know we don't talk about him as a pure sprinter, but he does get up there in the bunch sprints. Uh, Peter Sagan leaving today. So the, the number of teams just continues to shrink. The number of teams that is going to help to kind of quick step if, if they really want to bring this together for a bunch kick. I mean, it's. I guess you got RKS Samsic for, uh, for Nasser Buhani, but they haven't seemed all that interested in uh, doing all that much work. And, and of course, Jasper Philipson would have a chance for Alpes and Fenix, but two of the riders that would be able to assist certainly in the lead-out, and, and also um, in the uh, chasing as, aspect, they're gone as well. So I agree that the it's really hard to say. Even if you look at this profile and you think this looks like a great sprinter's day, I mean, that was the case today, and tomorrow should be a little bit harder with the length. Um, I I feel like it's still a decent chance that, that Quickstep's able to kind of marshal this race and bring things back. They've got so many big engines that if they really wanted to, uh, I do think they could do a pretty good job of bringing back the breakaway if they got help from maybe just one other team, and maybe Arkea would help them. Uh, but yeah, it's tough to say. Um, I, I like I like the chance of a sprint here, but I liked it today too, and we did, that's not what we got. So, and yeah, I suppose one other team who might have started to consider their sprint options now with the reduced sprint field is Trek Segafredo with with Mads Pedersen's, of course can win a bunch sprint against the best of them but hasn't exactly been on on fire in this tour so far but we heard today that he is uh suffering from some sort of uh cold or something as well so isn't exactly himself and is just focused on getting through this weekend now so i wouldn't expect to see trek segafredo pulling on the front with with quick step tomorrow either and that kind of really does just leave arkea samzik who who had one of buhani's lead out guys connor swift in the break today as well so yeah, who knows, I guess. I think for today, he, he was maybe... I wouldn't have been surprised if Vlad van Aert told his team, yeah, I'm, I'm going to need a little bit of a break uh, after yesterday. But I do think Jumbo Visma is a, is an interesting kind of wild card here. They, they have kind of two reasons to push the pace. I mean, if there's ever any crosswinds, they are, they're going to want to be at the front for Jonas Vingegaard to potentially drop Tadej Pogacar, uh, although we've said that already a few times in this race, and, they, and the, the crosswinds just haven't had that GC impact yet. But other than that, of course, they've also got Wapen Art, and I think he is one of the few riders in this race who might be able to take on Cavendish in a sprint. We just haven't seen him going for it very often. I mean, he was second in the stage before Malvontu, which was remarkable, by the way. But then, you know, there have been a number of sprint stages that he hasn't contested. So if Jumbo Visma decides that they want to go for it, and they decide that they're willing to spend some some resources, some of their reduced resources without, uh, you know, they just lost Tony Martin the other day, adding to their list of, of riders that are no longer in the race. But if they do want to expend resources, they have a good reason to do it. They have multiple good reasons to do it. And Wout van Aert would be a real contender for a stage win. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them put riders to work. It just kind of means, yeah, potentially losing some resources uh, as we approach the Pyrenees. I, I kind of hope they do it. I wouldn't mind seeing another showdown between Van Aert and uh, Cavendish because it was so close that last time we saw them sprint. I mean, 
Cavendish took the win, but Van Aert was really closing quite quickly uh, at the end there on uh, on that stage. So hopefully uh, we do get another one of those showdowns at this race. Yeah, I think maybe had Tony Martin not crashed out yesterday, we might have had a stronger chance of, of that happening. But Jumbo Visma down to five. Now I'm with, with Vinegard or Vinigo, or I'm not sure. I need to find out how to pronounce his name properly. But um, with him, you know, performing so well on Vaughn 2 yesterday. I, I'm there with you. I, I really want to see that happen tomorrow, but I fear that we might not. Right, let's make some picks for tomorrow, and uh, we just lost Kaylee. Kaylee has uh, Kaylee has dropped off our call to check into his hotel, I think, and uh, we thought he'd be back, but he's not here, so we're going to have to pick for him for tomorrow's stage. I think Kaylee's going to go with Naira Quintana for tomorrow's stage. Tomorrow's flat stage looks like it really suits Quintana. Uh, maybe the best stage for him this whole race. So that's who Kaylee's got for tomorrow. No, no takebacks. Uh, Ronan, who you got? I can I make a pick for Kaylee as well. I'll make a serious pick for Kaylee Willa. Okay, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll pick uh, Lucas Postelberger for Kaylee for Bora to double up after losing Sagan. Ooh, that'd be nice. Yeah, after Sagan leaves, they get two stage wins. Mm. That's uh, yeah. That, that's why I'm giving that one to Kaylee. <laughs> I, I'm for myself. I'm going for Jasper Stoyan. We like that. Could win from the break. Could maybe win from the pack. Uh, I'm going to go with the the conservative pick and, and say that uh, Mark Cavendish wins the stage in a sprint. Ties Eddie Merckx's record. We'll see. So that's it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow, as always. Thanks for joining us. See you later. Thank you.